Welcome to the George Lynch Hunting Podcast, brought to you by Legendary Gear, a game call company that is legend by design. If it's not good enough for my lanyard, it's definitely not good enough for you. Hey guys, it's George Lynch. I'm uh, the host here of the George Lynch Hunting Podcast, which makes sense. But anyway, it's that time of year. It's uh, the time of year that you guys have, uh, if you're a hunter, if you're a whitetail hunter, you're a waterfowl hunter, or small game hunter, whatever it is, I mean, it, you're busier than the one arm paper hanger. I'm telling you, it's that we're running a call business and uh, we're kicking butt with it. So my wife keeps me pretty busy with the day during the orders coming in. And we feel blessed. We thank the good Lord for that. We've worked hard and we've come up with some, I feel, our best products yet and, and some of the best that's out there. And let me tell you, folks, I work really hard of trying to make sure each call's tuned and in right in the right uh, tone for you and the right um, stiffness, whatever. I mean, it's it, we try to get it into the right pitch for you. Um, get it so you know we have what you can request how you want it tuned, and we actually custom tune. There's things that we do to the duck calls that uh, it's totally uh, an after deal. It's not it's not throwing a reed in a in a soundboard that's cut. We do a different sanding and and little operation with the exacto file and exacto knife there to get these those duck calls to get just to that exact rasp and pitch and and the flow on the, on your feed and everything it's just it's not a production line it can't be a production line to get the quality of sound and i've known that from from years back and you each call that i do i put my best and effort in it trying to get that uh, right pitch and whether it's a goose call or duck call whatever the cut down call you know, we, we try to get it to, it's, it is the best, each one is the, the best one we've tuned. But anyway, it's a, a time of year and, and, buddy, my butt is ragged, it's running. I've been duck hunting in the morning, I've been working during the day, and then I'm trying to deer hunt at night. I haven't been waterfowl hunting that much or deer hunting that much. I've had cameras out and everything because, you know, I mentioned earlier, talking in previous podcasts that, I was worried about what this duck season and, and waterfowl season was going to end up being with the drought that we had. We had the worst drought that I've ever seen. And, and I've been here eight years, and a lot of the locals that are my age said it's the worst drought they've ever seen. But I knew that uh, we lost a lot of the loafing ponds in different areas like that, that the little small areas that held a lot of the different ducks, especially when ducks got pressured on the big lake. It kept them in, and, and the neat thing about a lot of these loafing ponds, because we have so much farm country and cattle country, there's so many of these ponds that happen to sit right in the middle of pit corn and, and everything like that. So it's so convenient. It's always been good to, to have those ponds where those ducks can roost or they'll loaf in a pond and jump over and they got the feed and then back into the pond and then back to the lake. Um, but this year, it's been tough. I uh, Like I said, I've been watching and, and, and scouting. And just haven't seen the birds. We haven't seen the speck bellies. We haven't usually, you know, I'll hear when I hear the specks coming in the snows, I know that the ducks are right behind them. They usually right here, the speck bellies and snows will show up just a little bit further, earlier. But usually it tells me the ducks are on. So anyway, what we've been doing is uh, we've been trying to, we've been trying to, to wait and, and wait till the prime time. Well, prime time is right now. And it's, we, we, we went out and we've been blasting ducks the last two mornings. We got uh, a couple good uh, farm ponds where they're holding up and the whitetails are starting to chase. It's turned on. The whitetails everywhere, if you're in southern Iowa or anywhere in Iowa and you're in November driving around, you have to be careful. 
there's whitetails running all over the place and uh even on our our farm we're seeing you know i got cameras and we're starting to get the buck movement we're gotten does that were coming in that's the neat thing about the food plots is to me i'm not really particular set you know they were set for the bucks it's about bringing in the does and holding in the does if you got the does and they come in estrus you're going to have the bucks in your area i just uh, was blessed sunday night to harvest a good probably high 140s um eight point that uh is actually the biggest buck that i've had on camera um he was a good one he was uh i had a few pictures of him but it was that, you know, we're talking the second week of November. The bucks are really pushing the does hard. And the neat thing is, usually the two-year-old and year-and-a-half bucks, when you start seeing them, and you'll see a few three-year-olds, they'll, they'll have the buster racks because they're they're all about piss of vinegar. They're all about pushing each other around and fighting. And this guy, you know, it's usually, if you got the better bucks, the bigger bucks in, in their area, they tend to hold on to their antlers longer. They're just not getting challenged as much. So the neat thing about that, what I try to do is piss them off that with a new buck in the area. So what we're going to talk about in this podcast is uh, we're going to talk about my setups and what I do to approach uh, my whitetail hunting, my whitetail strategy, especially this time of year as it's getting it. Usually, uh, you know, I'll start the scrapes. We're a little bit late and, and we've been talking about uh, scrapes in past podcasts, but what I'll get into is how I like to, I start out with this, my scrapes and work in my areas, trying to get the bucks to move in here um, using clear uh, buck scent. Now, there's different ways when setting your scrapes and where you put the scrapes. And to me, it's all about location again. It's not um, looking for that per perfect uh, tree or the perfect overhanging branch. And to me, the key uh, besides location is that overhanging branch. So if I don't have that perfect key, I've been putting T-post out in the field, and you can use a flag post holder, um, but putting my uh, branches and putting that in there and have at least have two going each way, one, you know, uh, right and left. It sits out and about, I'd say, four and a half, five foot up, and I'll make my scrapes. I, you know, I like to dig the dirt up, exposed, get everything, all the grass, everything away, try to get... Uh, that dirt up there and I use pure buckler urine and I'll tell you what my good buddy Dan Young with Outdoor Call Radio and my old friend uh, Philip Vanderpool, sad daddy Vanderpool, they got me turned on to this company called Pure Whitetail and I'm telling you what it's I've uh, been doing this for years and scrape making has always been a science to me and I I have a way and the things that didn't work and there's things that that uh, has worked and I'm telling you right now, I'm very impressed at the different products. I like that they use uh, from, everything's 100% pure, usually from one deer. Um, it's not mixture of different things. It's not mixture of farm goats. It's, it, you're getting pure whitetail and, and uh, no pun intended, but you, if you read the label, they pretty much it come from individual whitetail. But like I said, I like to start out and using the buck urine. And I got some video showing earlier before I shot this eight point that I started getting bucks coming in and they weren't actually, you know, we, we put our food plot in this year and we've had the little tough time with the food plot, which just because of the drought. So we actually didn't get the growth that we were looking for. And it's just, it's turned more to a transition of, of, uh, a pass-through and I've had to utilize scraping my food plot up and getting scrapes as much as I can trying to to attract um, now the, the grass that we put around uh, we put in dug in a pond this year and and uh, put in special blend of horse uh, grass for our horses 
and there were some turnips and stuff that in the gra in the grass blend that we made that came up uh and i don't know being around the pond if that had anything to do with it but it was a magnet so i got kind of the my food plot and plus around our pond it's drawing a lot of the does in they're coming in they're feeding almost all day long in fact uh, last week or three days ago uh midday i looked out there and there's three does eating and a good 130 class buck dogging them around um so i got the food and it's, it's holding them in the area so what i'm doing on my food plot is I, I pretty much, you know, have it scraped up, trying to draw interest in, in, hey, there's another guy in the area. And once that is established, and, and I've had that going, and uh, like I said, I've recorded quite a few pictures, and I've had the blessings of sitting in a ground blind and watching uh, buck after buck come in and go literally to my scrape, which is 10 yards in front of me, 12 yards in front, on their hind feet, hitting the overhanging branch. I have a wick out that I use some of this preorbital gland lure uh, that I put in there. And, you know, I'll go in and once that scrape and I'm, I'm digging that over and I got to where the bucks will start using it. They'll come to check it. They'll, they'll go out. I got them coming in the food plot, the video of them going out of their way just to, to sniff the scrape and paw on it and sniff the overhanging branch. I'll go back in after they're done, re-hit it again. So it's another different buck that's uh, overpowering. It's, it's kind of trying to, douse out his calling card so to speak so um that's how i got this this eight point you know i just uh we were getting several bucks i call it a primary scrape um you have you know there's classifications guys that uh, a friend of mine roger rathar years ago i consider one of the best whitetail bow hunters to this day he's passed away but roger i was blessed to be taken under his wing and and uh he tutelaged me to to a lot of the whitetail knowledge and he was really the first guy who classified scrapes with your boundary scrapes are usually scrapes you see on field edges and you had secondary scrapes scrape that a buck might hit once or twice and then be gone and usually on a pattern on a run during the night but then you'll have back in but usually this is back into your staging areas you'll have your primary scrapes and your primary scrapes can look like it would look like a wagon wheel you'll have seven several trails that could lead into this and being in lo again location and everything else um this is where the bucks like to go and that's where i like to get a lot of my scrapes and i'm working as i call it the staging area it's places that it's off maybe 7500 yards from the field edge it sits back in where the does go on through and head out to the field and you'll have the younger bucks as they're coming along then the older bucks and the usually late you know, you have uh, the bigger bucks that will come through in the staging area. And what they'll do is they'll scrape, smell around, sniff around, uh, see if the does have peed in any of the scrapes. But they're they just sit checking and they'll go, they'll start rubbing. You'll see this is the area that you might see a good concentration of rubs. And what they're doing is they're sitting back uh, waiting for darkness before they hit that field edge. So if you're up there on the field edge and you're sitting with your, your stand out, out there and you're, all you're seeing is does and small bucks, well... That's the reason why the good ones are usually sitting back in that staging area and anything gets spooked out in that field. Think about that. The does and young bucks are going to come running back through warning, telling him that there's trouble. So he's kind of utilizing the herd of the deer, you know, the deer herd to uh, as a safety measure, precaution to uh, for danger. So when you find these places and, and, you know, for me, I know my areas and it took me a good couple years of or a lot of scouting, studying, um, Pre, my preseason scout, and I love it, is, is right in the first part of the spring or as soon as the, the last uh, snow melts. 
getting out in the woods and everything is, you know, looks just like it did back in the fall. And that's where you can find a lot of these staging areas. That's where you find a lot of the beds. I go in there and I look for beds. I look for deer droppings. I mentioned that before that if you find a lot of droppings and they're scattered out in pellets, that's, you know, that's usually crap that the deer take just on their walk and as they're moving. But if you find them big clumps that are clumped together and sticky, that's usually, that's where I identify close to a bedding area because that's when a deer has been laying for a little bit and they get up and they're taking a dump, the first thing they're going to do is when they take a dump, it's going to be a little constipated. It's going to be a little uh, pasty. If you uh, know what I'm saying, it looks like one big log turd Tootsie Roll sitting out there with little pellets stuck together. That's usually that you're identifying that, that that's either that's been a place where they have bedded. And if you find consistent droppings like that, that you've entered into a bedding area. When I identify these bedding areas, that's usually when or I'm close to it. Um, that's when I know that either I back out if I know I'm in a bedding area and then try to get in between A and B between the food source and from that bedding area. So I can sneak in, you know, uh, in the evening when they're bedding and, and use the wind and come in and set up. And then in the morning I might opt to, to um, you could either go back in, but I usually try to opt out a little further um, away uh, from from the bedding areas they're coming in the dark you know as they're coming back into the bedding areas that I don't want you're always too you know I'm afraid of getting too close to that bedding area so anyway once I got these scrapes established and they're going you know this last week it's been working great because these bucks you know they haven't uh, got the does pinned down yet and how you tell is that I'm seeing does with fawns still that are attached to them when you start seeing fawns by themselves and does usually what it is that the usually a good chance at the good buck in that area or whatever an older buck but he's going to have a doe he's starting to thin away the doe that's coming into estrus that's coming into heat he's he's picking that out and what they'll do is they'll run those young ones right off they'll they'll kick them off in those young ones you know they don't leave too far they'll stay pretty close in the area because they don't want to leave the scent of their mother but yet they don't want to get too close and get their ass kicked by the by the uh the dominant buck there who's he doesn't want to mess with that he's not all about babysitting he's about little uh attacking the female and and filling the appetite so when you start seeing that i can remember a, a good story about that uh, down in southern illinois bohun and um there was a buck and a good buck that had a doe pinned up and that fawn it was crazy and that, that's the only time i've seen a fawn that it, it bleated non-stop non-stop I mean, in the morning, whining, me, me, you know, and, and during the day, he's just nonstop. And that fawn wouldn't leave, and that fawn kind of gave us an idea, um, you know, where that buck and doe were being held up. And they were. They were in a super big thicket. And he set up in the morning and caught them uh, in, coming across a, a bean field. Actually, excuse me, it was a pit cornfield uh, coming out of a draw ravine and headed into a, a, sure, a big thicket. And he was bulldogging uh, her nose and her to put her in that thicket and, and bed her down for the morning. Killed his first Pope and Young Whitetail. It was a great hunt. Once that's why the scrapes, you know, when we get up there, we got the deer coming into the scrapes. I got bucks. I got activity. Once I establish in my spot what I call a primary scape, scrape, that I got several bucks coming into that scrape, what I will do, and I'm not a, a, I'm not a huge guy in just plain rattling, um, just out of the clear, blind, we call it blind rattling. Um, just if I went into a new area, I would never rattle unless I saw a buck way in the distance. Uh, 
that wasn't coming in. I might tickle some tines, maybe hit the ground, you know, if he's 100 yards or further. I just definitely don't want to ever have a buck to circle. When you're when you're rattling blind, it's really uh, a good chance, without, especially without a decoy, that a deer are going to downwind you and pick up your scent, and there's going to be bucks that maybe you never even seen. They're going to pick up that scent and, and leave. So I will rattle, and when I have my areas and how I set up, I pretty much are in pinch points where I got everything in. It comes down, the scrapes are tore up. Knowing that several bucks, and they know that there's a different buck in this area, I will rattle, and I'll do sequences, and, and maybe my rattling might go 45 seconds to a minute because I know that my deer, if they're in there, they're not bedded far, and I don't want to make the mistake of having uh, deer show up right away in, in in the middle of a rattling sequence so when i rattle I'll, I'll put it down i'll go maybe 15 20 seconds and then i do i have a grunt routine and i'll i'll talk about that i'm not a big on the short grunts i call them tending grunts i do aggressive grunts the and maybe you guys call them the buck growl or roar buck roar whatever you want to call it it's uh it might sound like crap on the call but I've been in Illinois and Iowa and Michigan and, and had deer come off cliffs and, you know, 7,500 yards to come in. And uh, I'll talk about that. And that's going to be my calling deal. But we're going to go through there. We've, we've talked about the scrapes. And what I've said, if you ever go to the pure whitetail, go to their buck urine. I like to start my scrape out with a buck urine that they use. I'll use the preorbital. Now, what I do, you know, they have scent wicks you can hang up. Now, hang a sick wick, scent wick, but I have those little paintbrushes I carry, little cheap artist paintbrushes kids use. You can go to the Dollar, Dollar General and get them. And I use those. And when I go out in the woods, I'll take a fresh one and I'll into my bag and I'll dip it in that pre orbital. And I run and I hand brush all the limbs and branches on the edges with that pre orbital. And if I videoed, you'd see all these bucks, how they'll come in and nub and, and gnaw on every one of my branches. They'll rub them between their, and their forehead gland and they'll rub it between the antlers and then they gum it and, and then they take their eyes and the preorbital and rub their eyes. So, they're, so you know, I'm getting this interaction. I'm, I'm, I'm hitting and I'm doing something that's natural, not unnatural. Once, like I said, you get them going, um, they have another product they call Trance. Um, have no idea. It's more of a, you know, I put, use that as you can use that. It's great as I, a lot of times I have a, 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 a drag rag that I use and it's just a simple, you can get a cotton t-shirt, cut it. I'll take a piece of paracord and, and tie it onto that para rag, then make a big loop that zips through. So you can put it around your ankle and, and just pull it tight. That stays in a, a little gallon, uh, glad bag that I have. It's soaked with this trance that I use and I use that as I walk in and walking around as I'm checking a camera even when I'm going in um not even to hunt just going to go in and, and pull a trail chip I use this drag rag all the time guys going in trying to put to keep the deer scent over mine I spray my boots everything and you know the young bucks and, and bucks like that mediocre bucks they might tolerate and the does might tolerate my scent going in and out of there but i'll tell you what i think the even in iowa and even with the areas are not fully pressured i still think that the big bucks they're still not stupid no matter what state you're hunting them and i just don't want to put any alarm if i can of any human scent that's in there messing around in his bedroom 
or his living room, not his bedroom, but in his living room. So I use that for the drag rag, especially going in, in and out of my stand in case there's a bucket comes in. But once the thing starts going, they make a product that's in, it's what I really think is cool. It's, it's a dough and estrus powder dust. And I like this powder because it just stays, seems to stay on this uh, on the soil better, even when it's dry. Liquid can seems to, to dry out and evaporate. But with this dust, it, it stays on that. And even when you rain, you'll see where it kind of turns into pasty into that scrape. And I think that what it does just lays and puts more scent down in there. And I've watched those bucks come in and rub their nose right into it. Then what I've done, just before I shot my 8-point, um, you know, and I've seen the chasing does and everything, I started using what they have called Spellbound uh, Power Dust. It's uh, it's pour the estrus, um, trying to, you know, I put that in there, and it just, it's hot. Bring them does in that uh, the buck's going to come in. Hey, I got a hot doe in my area, and so... Once I got all this buck activity, I've used these scrapes trying to, to bring the bucks into them. As, and again, I'm using nature, I'm using science, nature, and everything uh, that they do to bring them into this certain small spot that we're sitting hunting with a bow and arrow. Now, once I've got this scrape activity coming, that's what I'm talking about, that's when I get into the rattling. And then we're going to get into the rattling calling. Now, I'm going to rattle with a bag that I have here today, and it's nothing, I mean... Guys, it's not rocket science rattling, but it is sequences, and you don't want to go and, and look like two power punchers going at it, uh, and, you know, nonstop for 30 seconds and beating your fist and your thumbs. Um, and it's really tough. You know, a lot of guys, you know, I've seen great rattlers that are on the ground uh, if they're what I call um, drifting through the woods and, and they're trying to they rattle and they're moving, they're still hunting. You know, they can rake the trees, they can rake the ground, but it really, if you're hunting on a tree stand and hunting in the ground blinds and tower blinds and stuff like that, you can't do that as much. And uh, so anyway, what I'm doing, I'll start off and talking about, you know, I wait till when I get into a spot, I always give it about 30 minutes to quiet down. And I've taken a chance of 30 minutes if I got something coming in. Always making sure I'm looking. And um, everything always starts, you know, slow. And I build up as I go. But like I said, my antlers are all in the blinds and out in the woods and my good antlers. So I got my old rattling bag. But you're going to get the, the gist of it when I'm talking about. So when I'm starting up and I'm going to call and I'm going to rattle, you know, I'll sit here. And now I'm going to mention this. If I'm in a tree stand and I get into the woods, before I rattle, I will grunt probably four or five grunts in a, in a 15 second, wait a minute, do another four or five grunts in a 15 second se uh, sequence and then wait. A lot of times if there's a buck cruising and I've been busted in that morning, getting up there first thing, rattling those antlers and look down all of a sudden right behind me, there's a buck looking up. So what I do now is I hit those soft grunts and then I look and then I wait and keep looking. Once I've passed that and really haven't gotten anything or the attention, anything to draw in, that's when I'll grab the, my bag and my antlers. And again, like I said, I start off soft.
now you, you hear that I'm pushing, I'm rattling, I'm, and I'm putting pauses in there. And once I start speeding you, I slow and I start speeding it up. Once you start speeding that up a little bit, then you'll hear that grinding. And that's when they're pushing and kind of moving their heads. You always want to try to put that little grinding noise in there. And then as I'm going again, I'll just keep build it up more. And now I'm going to go for full volume. Now, I'll go through that, and then I don't go tickling back down and going slow. Once I'm doing that full volume, usually I stop, boom, right then. And usually what that is is they're going hard at it. They don't just go back to soft and then say, oh, hey, you done? I'm done. I'm tired. Let's go get a brew, dude. Now, what they're doing is they're shoving and pushing, and then all of a sudden, one is getting the better of the other one. He finally peels and flees. He you know, submits. He taps out. And uh, so that's why I'll keep it going up and rough and then just bam, rat, just like they, they, they did the breakup. Once that's done, look, you know, and again, always be open-minded. You want to look and, and I keep, you know, li and listen, listen if you hear a grunt coming, listen if you hear uh, branches snapping, if one's coming in, sometimes they'll come in quick. Sometimes it, it all depends. Whatever moods, like a bass, you know, fishing for bass, you could use that one lure, and it's just that one time, man. It, it just hit him right, and he slams it. Sometimes they nibble at it and barely get on the hook, and then there's days they knock it out of the water. That's the same way to me with rattling whitetails. But again, I'm looking and listening. I'm looking to listen. Then I'll start out with my first grunt, and again, I'm I'm not doing the. I'm going to give, I get a little bit more vocal. When that buck, you got to understand, he's worked up. It actually scared because when he came out, he was, Bruh! he gave out one of those bowel, barrel roars. And uh, that is the, the ultimate excitement. If most you want to talk about a buck being most jacked up, that is the sound he does when he is most jacked up. Usually he's frustrated. The doe, he's chasing does. He can't get the doe pin. He's, he's frustrated with the doe. But it is an intense emotion. So what I'm done, this duck buck has just got done fighting. The other buck kicked his tail. Then when I'm done, he's, uh, he's now he's, you know, he's stiff where he's walking around. I'll hit that and then I wait. And I'll sit and look, sit and look. I'll go maybe 30 seconds. Then I'll start hitting the. You see, it's not rocket science, guys, but it's it's natural. That's a sound. And the, to me, what I've noticed in the years when 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 rattling and calling and, and grunting at deer, especially when you get a, a deer that's three years and older, you know, they start catching on. But when you hit that, you know, you're out there. When you're out there and you're doing that, that's what I call a tending grunt. And nine times out of ten, you'll hear, you see a buck doing that. His tail's up. Usually, if you see a buck walking, his nose is down, tail is up, he's trailing a doe. And as he's going every other step, you know, he's... 
he's doing that well, some guys might call hyper hyper grunt but he's just sitting there and he's grunting but what i'm trying to say is he's moving so you get a mature deer and he's looking over he hears that tending grunt going on or that hyper grunt and he looks over and you know it's great if you have a decoy now forget that you forget all that what i'm saying if, if you got a decoy if you don't have a decoy and you're sitting there doing that you got a good chance on a mature deer there's a couple things you know he's either gonna he's gonna leave if he doesn't see anything moving or what he's going to do, which is a cardinal sin, he's going to circle and try to downwind you. And if he comes in from the side and you don't know it, he might circle downwind of you if he doesn't see anything. He's going to come in cautious looking, you know, in my opinion, on the older of the buck. He's going to come in more cautious looking. And one of the traits, the best thing to remember, you know, there's three senses. you got uh, sight, sound, and smell. Those are three senses that we're dealing with the whitetail. To me, older the whitetail, you know, the young deer, the year and a half deer, and maybe a two and a half, you can fool, and I'll, I won't say two, I'll say the year and a half deer and, and younger, you can fool one sense and, and bring them in. Maybe two and a half to three, you can fool two of the senses and bring a good deer in. But I really don't believe that you can bring a mature whitetail in unless you fool all three of the senses. So what I'm saying is if I can, you know, if I got a decoy and, and I'm using for sight, you know, which is great to confirm that, if I'm sitting there with the right wind um, where the deer is not, you know, usually that decoy is going to keep them from circling downwind if he has the sight. So I fooled his sight. Then if I'm using the, the grunt, you know, to fool his uh his, his his ears that the hearing now what i do is I, if i have a scent down or if i put the right scent how i use on my decoy and he comes in and gets a little down on that decoy and it smells whatever i put onto that decoy it's a good chance that i fooled all three now if i don't have a decoy and i have my you know my stuff hanging over my scrape and i'm like i said i'm right on all this doing all this near my scrapes so if I sit there and freshen up my scrape, I got the dough and heat, but I got the buck trance, and then I got all the preorbital. My I got my wicking stick hanging up and uh, hanging up in the the tree branch, and so I'm using that scent. And usually when I'm getting in, you know, it's just been put in, it's fresh. There's a good chance without the decoy, I can bring it in because I'm using the scrape as my calling card to go in to, for my three defenses, uh, you know, to go after that buck. So I'm trying to fool the ears, I'm fooling the sight, and then I want to fool the, the smell. So that's what I'm trying to do. Now, I will say there's a, there is definitely, now snort wheeze, it can be good. A snort wheeze, usually what I've done with the snort wheeze, and it's real simple, just... That is a very aggressive, uh, when a buck is, you know, he's aggressive and he's ready to fight or they come in to get around each other and he's the ears back, he's he's fluffed up, you know, he's frisked up. He'll do a snort wheezes, which is coming through a dominant. Um, now, I've seen with a three and a half and younger, if there's bigger bucks in that area, I've seen that, you know, spook off the, the, the uh, immature deer, so to speak. But, you know, it can work. But what I will say that I've seen work for me almost 100% of the time. Now, I haven't because I'm hunting with a bow most of the time. I haven't, uh, you know, it's not 100% with a bow. It, but I'm bringing the deer in and I'm mature. And I'm talking mature deer. I'm talking fawn bleats. 
And that's one thing you don't hear guys today talking about was the fawn bleats. And one thing I like about a fawn bleat is that, again, you heard me talking earlier. That's why I wanted to talk about usually when a buck has, he knows there's a doe in heat. That buck pins down that doe, runs the fawn off. And you heard me Sounds talk about that fawn bleeding all the time, crying. Well, that means, you know, when he's doing that, when another buck who might be moving into your area, and when does are coming in heat, you got bucks running that gauntlet. That's why you could have a buck from another area showing up if the does moved out, whatever. But you could have a new buck. And the neat thing about that fawn bleat, it reaches and cuts along. It can go a long distance. And what, what I found, I have a perfect sequence I use over the years that I've established that works tremendous for that. And what I do is when I see that buck out there in the distance, now you can rack the horns. And that's and like I said, I've seen different actions, but I've seen almost 100%. And definitely I'm talking about the right, right we're in the rut. I've taken that fawn bleat and meh, hit that fawn bleat and stop that, that buck. What I do then is I wait in silence and he'll keep staring my way. What he's doing, he's looking. I've caught his attention. You want to give him enough time to, you know, to think, go through his thought process. That's a fawn. It just bleated. Oh, mother must be in heat. I bet there's a buck over there trying to breed a doe coming in heat. Now you got a buck who's mature working in a new area. He doesn't have a clue what bucks in this area, but he does care more about this. It might be a doe in this area that he's been looking might be in heat. Again, this is natural. I'm using nature. When he looks at and, and maybe starts to lose interest, if he doesn't come in that first bleat and he turns, as soon as he turns that head to take that the first step, I will hit that bleat sharp three times. And I'm, bee, meh, meh, I'll hit that. And that is the point where they bust the, you know, I've grabbed their attention and they'll bust loose because that fawn is bleeding. The more he bleats, the closer he is to his mother. And that buck is making a, a, a beeline to that fawn and starts sniffing and see if he can find that. You know, he doesn't know what buck he might have to fight and he really doesn't care. His attention, again, is on that uh, doe that might be in heat that's being, you know, pinned down by another buck. And I, a lot of times I do like the, you know, a regular fawn bleat. But if you don't, the deer, the doe estrus, you know, if you get uh, Primos has one of the grunt and the snort wheeze and then the doe estrus. But what I like to do, the doe estrus can work just as good. I'll run it a little, put more air into it, put a little more pressure to it, try to get it higher pitch. And again, I'll try to, when, I'll, when I see it, <coughs> and uh, you can use that. I put a little bit too much hair in that first part, but you kind of get the idea I'm getting that. I'm getting that little fawn bleat, and they stop. Once he stops and he starts to take two steps forward, or that one step forward, I hit the... <coughs> I hit that three times to give that fawn bleat. And again, if he if he stands up and holds up on his way in, hit him again. <coughs> but I found, I'm telling you, using that, like I said, they've come in and circled around, and you know, but everyone has come within 50 yards. And definitely with a shotgun or rifle, whatever, muzzleloader, I think I could have killed everyone. But with a bow, it was always, you know, I didn't get the right. There was branches in the way. You know, I had them hold up. They were head on. It wasn't, they didn't present. But when they left, here's the cool thing about it. He didn't try to circle me. He was more busy trying to look and smell a doe that might be in heat. 
again, what I'm talking about, I'm using the natural science of nature, what the hell, what they do, and you don't hear people talk about that. And it is, to me, one of the most deadly sounds. I've seen uh, the other day on, on social media, someone was showing a crying baby on the uh, on a deck. And meh, meh, she's crying. And here come a doe running out of the woods, running up to the deck. Primos years ago, and I'm talking 15 years ago when the VHS first came out, they were doing the deer, the fawn bleats. And the guys were down there in Mississippi. They go out in the woods and they just scream on those fawn bleats nonstop. And, of course, back in the day, see, nobody was worried about inches. and It was about deer meat and, and getting things. But uh, it showed uh, these these does would come in. It was a natural maternal instinct of a doe. It wasn't her fawn. But to, to run that fawn bleat and to come in is a maternal instinct. And um, so, it, again, like I said, it's nature's thing. I, I would probably actually, in, in during the rut, would want a fawn bleat before I want a grunt call. That's the truth. But uh, anyway, I hope you take this knowledge, and uh, I hope it helps you out. Like I said, it's go time now. We're hanging duck, We're pounding ducks. Uh, we're killing deer. And I hope everybody out there has a good time. Remember, stay safe. And always hunt smart, hunt safe. And may the good Lord be your guide. Take care, guys. Well, I'll be out there, rain is shining. All a part of the great design. Bring it on, I can never get enough Because that's what legends are made of